Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in on our sermon series through the Book of Romans. Throughout history, this has been regarded as the greatest letter ever written. It has been used by God to change people's lives for centuries, and we have prayed that God would use it to change your life as well. In a world full of bad news, Romans is about good news, and we hope God uses this sermon to help you believe and enjoy the good news of the gospel. Thanks for listening. Today I'll be reading the scripture so you can follow along behind me. Uh, today's scripture is Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. <clears throat> for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning uh, just at peace, at rest. We bring in our sins, our burdens, um, just all the hang-ups in our lives, Lord. Uh, we come here to put on your yoke uh, that is easy and light uh, and brings us joy, Lord. We pray that uh, you speak through James this morning, um, open our hearts to hear your word, your truth. Um, let it move us, let it stir us, um, and let it just uh, bring us closer to you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as believers, uh, that we might sharpen and encourage um, and build one another up in your name. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, uh, Pastor David and band, for leading us in that time of worship. And uh, thank you to Ben Rogers, one of my good friends, uh, for reading that passage of Scripture and opening us up in prayer. It was such a wonderful time. I feel like we can be just done after that. I could just pray again and we could be dismissed. And we have worshiped the Lord and heard a beautiful passage of Scripture from His Word. And uh, that does it. I mean, it's awesome. So could be done, but I won't be. If you don't know me, my name is James Valet, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer. And um, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to open up God's Word with you this morning. Our lead pastor, Jason Hatch, is preaching at Redeemer Lubbock this morning. So he'll be preaching four services in a row this morning. So pray for him. Um, and, I, and that means that I have the opportunity to be here with you guys. And so I'm so grateful for that. Um, I, I'm so grateful to have the privilege to talk about this beautiful passage of Scripture that Ben just read. If you've been with us in this Roman series, we've covered some weird ones and some difficult ones. And this one is just beautiful and glorious. So have the, to have the opportunity to talk about this with you this morning, I am just very, very excited. If you're just joining us, uh, welcome here at Redeemer in person. If you're joining us online for the first time, welcome to you. 
Uh, what we're doing right now is we are going through the book of Romans, passage by passage, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Rome in the first century. Basically, Paul wrote this letter to these Christians living in Rome to explain to them and describe to them in detail the gospel that he preached. So he's writing to them saying, hey, here is the good news about Jesus that I declare. Here it is. And he breaks it down. So that's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Romans. And as Ben just read for us, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 this morning. And I know he prayed, but I want to pray again and just ask God to be with us this morning as we look at this passage from the greatest letter ever written. So would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for you and we humbly come into your presence this morning. Uh, We're grateful for this opportunity to worship you with our words as we sing and to worship you as we look at your word. God, I pray that you would just open our minds. I pray that you would move me a sinful and broken and unworthy vessel out of the way and that your spirit would speak through me that we might see you as you truly are it's glorious and awesome and beautiful and wonderful and all the things that you have purchased for us through your son Jesus Christ may we see that this morning and may our hearts be full of joy in you and we pray this in Jesus name amen So the point of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it's all about joy. He talks about the benefits that God purchased for us in our justification. It's all about the blessings of our justification. And he describes them. And as he describes them, he reminds us that our justification was also very costly. So, and it's good to know these things. Like, it's good to know these truths. Uh, In Romans chapter 1 through 3, he has told us some truths about humanity and some truths about God. And it's good that we know these things. And in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4, he tells us some truths, some information about God and justification and salvation and how to become a sinner. And it's good that we know those truths. And it's good that we know these truths today about the benefits of our justification. But it's one thing to know some truths. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. And it is a completely different thing to enjoy God. It is a completely different thing to enjoy God. That's true in different areas of life. I was an electrician for a number of years. I was a licensed electrician. And uh, so I surrounded myself with with other electricians. I called myself an electrician, but I did not enjoy being an electrician. I was an apprentice. I was the lowest level you can be an electrician. And so I traveled around with a journeyman, which I think is like right under a master electrician. I think it's been a while. Um, And I didn't mind working on houses and wiring up plugs and ceiling fans and stuff like that. But anytime we were working with a panel, I got very timid. I I was not very comfortable working around the very high voltage. And this journeyman would always mess with me. Like I'd get close to it and I'd be focusing, making sure he's like, don't touch that one. That one will kill you. And then he'd scare me. And I just hated it. I hated, I did not enjoy being an electrician. Uh, There was a time when I played uh, varsity football. I was an underclassman, but I was suiting up with varsity. So I was surrounded with football players. I knew a lot of things about football, but I wasn't playing much because I was an underclassman. And to be honest, at that time, I didn't enjoy football. 
I didn't enjoy it at that time. This would be true in anything in life. And people in this room and people watching on live stream, I want you to know there is a difference between knowing some things about God and calling yourself a Christian. It is a completely different thing to enjoy God. That's what Paul is writing about in this Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. He is saying, people in Rome and people today, Christians, God did not purchase your justification so that you could know some things about God and walk around Rome and say, I'm a Christian and identify as a Christian and then live your life not giving Jesus a second thought and pursuing joy and all of the other things that the world throws at you. He's saying that God purchased your justification for many things, and there are many blessings that come with that. But mainly, the main goal of the gospel, the main prize that Jesus purchased for you, that God purchased for you through Jesus, is God himself and the ability to enjoy God himself. So I think the main point, what I wanted to title this sermon, and the main point of this text is God bought you with his son to bless you with himself. God bought me with his son to bless me with himself. And I want to show you that as we look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The world is going to throw all sorts of things. The world is dedicated to taking your eyes off of this truth that we see here, to taking your eyes off of this reality and saying, don't view, you weren't created to find your joy in God. Find your joy in all of these other things. Find your joy in your career. Find your joy in your relationships. Find your joy in building wealth. Find your joy in what other people think about you and your popularity or your power or your position in society. That's what the world's going to tell you. Devote your life to finding your joy in those things, but you were not designed to find your joy in those things. You were created by God to find your joy in God. And we're going to see that this morning. So let's jump into it. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. As I said, let me review real quick. If you're just joining us, let me review uh, real quick where we've been. Give me 20 seconds. Um, in Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul establishes our need for justification. He, ha- he establishes that we are all sinful and in need of justification before God. We're guilty and we need to be declared innocent. There has to be a way. He shows that the pagan, atheist, agnostic person is sinful before God. He shows that the Jews who thought they were God's chosen people, they were sinful before God and in need of justification. And he shows that the religious person, the self-righteous religious person who focuses on all their good deeds and thinks, I'm a good person, he says, you're sinful and broken and you need justification before God. That's Romans chapter 1 through 3. And then in 3 and 4, he says, thank God, God did not just leave us in that sinful state. But he sent his son to die for us so that when we trust in Jesus, we can be justified. There is a way to be justified. It's not by earning it. It's by faith in Christ. And so he unpacks in chapter 3 and chapter 4 that when a person trusts in Jesus, all of their sin, all of their shame, all of their guilt is taken off of them and placed onto Jesus Christ. He dies for it on the cross. And all of Jesus' perfect righteousness, the way he perfectly loved God and perfectly loved man, his perfect righteous innocence is then credited to that now believing sinner's account. 
It's credited to their account. That's justification. Martin Luther called it the great exchange, and it truly is a great exchange. That's what Paul establishes in 3 and 4. And now, chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, here are these blessings that come with justification. So that's where we've been in Romans, and that's where we are today. So we're going to look at five blessings of justification that God purchased for us in our justification. In these 11 verses, we see five benefits, five blessings that God purchased for us through Jesus in our justification. And number one, you see in Romans 5, verse 1, number one is peace with God. He starts out and he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what I just explained to you in chapter 3 and chapter 4, that when you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, your sins are forgiven. God looks at you and he says, righteous, not guilty. He declares that on you. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace with God is the first blessing. What does that mean? What is the opposite of peace? War, right? conflict, destruction. And you may say, peace with God. I didn't know I was at war with God. But the New Testament teaches, it's interesting, that we're all, since we are all born, the New Testament teaches and the Old Testament reveals that we are all born sinners. Sinners by nature and then we're sinners by choice. And that sin sets us in opposition to God. So naturally, our natural inclination is to do our own thing and to go our own way and to not follow God as our good and righteous king. He is the rightful king and the good king. And we say, no, I don't really want anybody to tell me what to do. I've got this. I can do it better on my own. We're born in conflict with God, not at peace with God, whether we know it or not. But God initiated a peace treaty with us that we did not deserve. I think about wars and conflicts that have happened in my life. I remember where I was on September 11th, 2001. I remember when the planes hit the buildings and the terrorists attacked America. I remember um, the war in Afghanistan and hearing about it. I remember all of those all of that battle, all of those conflicts. And so now our, our president, whether you agree with it or not, I'm not trying to get political here, but our president has said on September 11th, 2021, we're going to withdraw all of our troops out of Afghanistan. So is, has peace been accomplished? Maybe, maybe not. One thing we can be certain of is human wars will continue and where humans make peace treaties, humans violate those peace treaties. And that will continue to happen. What if World War I ended in 1919, the Treaty of Versailles? And then not even 10 to 12, 10, 12, 13 years later, Hitler rises to power, violates that treaty, World War II starts. We can be sure that, that wars are going to happen. It's very clear. There's a good guy, a bad guy. These people are at war with one another. While those human peace treaties may be violated, we can be certain the good news is, is that God will never violate his peace treaty with us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that peace treaty is the cross. 
For all those who've trusted in Christ, the war is over. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not ever have to worry about God taking up arms against us, judging us in the future. It's done. Christ paid for it all. That's an external peace that God purchased for us. But there's also an internal peace that God purchased for us in our justification. There's a peace of mind that you experience when you know that you're right with God. There's an inner peace. There's an inner peace that we see that's lacking in so many people around us in the world today. You do not have to look around to see the mess. People have a natural foundational unrest and anxiety in their heart when they're separated from God. That's a result of sin. Something's not right. Something's missing. So we look to all of these things to pacify that, to suppress that, to make that feeling of unrest and anxiety go away. But the only thing that will truly put our hearts at rest and truly bring peace to, peace to our souls is a relationship with God, our creator. Augustine said it in the fourth century, and he said it rightly. He said, oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And that is true. And that's the first blessing that God purchased for us in our justification. We have peace with God. The second one is we have secure grace. We see this in verse 2. He says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So secure grace. The first half of verse 2, he says that we have access to this grace and in this grace we now stand. So grace is a beautiful word in a wonderful concept, and an oversimplified definition of it would be an undeserved favor or an undeserved gift. And if we think about this, our justification, all of this stuff that God purchased for us, the blessings, not all of it is of grace. The fact that we're alive and breathing and heart is pumping in our veins right now is a gift of God's grace. The fact that God chose to come to earth and live in our place a perfect life and willingly give himself up for us to die on a cross, a death that he did not deserve, is grace. The fact that we have the gift of repentance and faith, if you're a believer, the fact that you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, that is a gift of God's grace. The fact that you have peace with God, all of this. God looks at you and says righteous, and I think, me? God looks at me and says righteous? I did not earn that. That is grace. That is an undeserved gift. And because it's undeserved and because it's a gift from God, it is also secure. So when he talks about our justification, he says, we have been justified. He uses past tense. That is a declaration. You trusted in Jesus, God said, righteous. But when he talks about our standing in grace, he uses a perfect tense of the word which means that something that happened in the past that has present results and that continues on into eternity. So this grace in which we now stand, we can be sure our relationship with God that is by grace is secure and it cannot be lost. I love the way Paul talks about this relationship in Ephesians 1, this security, the assurance of this relationship, no fear of am I right with God, am I not right with God. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 1 when he says this. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. 
in love, he predestined us. Don't get caught up on that word. That's not what I'm talking about. We're moving on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. God has adopted you into his family. You have access to him and his grace. And that relationship is secure. We can know that. That is the second benefit, blessing, that God purchased for us in our justification. The third is joyful hope. Another blessing, another benefit that God has purchased for us is a joyful hope. The rest of verse 2 through verse 4, he talks about this. He says this in uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So I see him focusing and talking about two different kinds of hope. One is a future hope, and one is a hope for today. So he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul points our attention to the future. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope, the certainty that one day, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I love that passage of scripture. That has become dear to me. As we look at all the brokenness around us and we watch the news and we hear of all this hate and these terrible things that are happening, even in our country, even though it's still a great country, and then around the world, all this horrible stuff, we can know for sure that one day God is coming to make it all right. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye. He will eliminate all evil and his people will be in his presence, enjoying him, glorifying him, worshiping him for all of eternity. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God to the future. And we can be sure of that. It's not like, oh, I hope this may happen one day. No, he says we know it. We know it will happen one day. But he doesn't just point us to the future. He says we can have joyful hope now in our sufferings. He says, yes, we can be sure that one day God will make all things right, but you can also be sure now That in your current sufferings, in your current strugglings, that God is working all things together for your good now. And that can give you a joyful hope. He says, because you can know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your trial is, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what your hard times look like, he says, suffering produces endurance. It has a purpose. You can know that it has a purpose. It's not meaningless. It's not just random chance or bad luck that this happened to you. He's saying, no, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. You can have a joyful hope today and a joyful hope for the future. So that is the third benefit, the third blessing that God has purchased for us in our justification. That leads us to number four. Number four, the fourth benefit, the fourth blessing that God purchased for us through our justification is God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love. He's just talked about suffering. So how in our sufferings can we know that God loves us? How when we're going through hard times can we be certain and sure that God's love is steadfast? It's not like 
I love you today, I'll bless you today, but you're not doing good enough today, so I'm going to allow some suffering to come into your life. How can we know that God still loves us? And he gives us two evidences in Romans 5 through 10 that are awesome. He gives us some internal evidence, and he says if you ever start to doubt that internal subjective evidence, he gives us some objective external historical evidence. And he's like, you can hang your hat on that. You can know that God loves you steadfastly. Romans 5.5, 5, he says this. The first way we can know and be sure that God loves us, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the first way, the first way that you can be sure that God loves you, no matter what you're going through in suffering and trials and temptations, is he said God loves you so much that he gave you his precious Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. And it's different. In the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit coming upon people and leaving, anointing them for a specific task and then leaving. That's why David cries out in the Psalms, Oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The New Testament believer, that's never mentioned in the New Testament. The, New Te- the Holy Spirit is said, we are told we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It is a wonderful promise that would have blown the first century Jewish mind. What? The Holy Spirit is going to come and live in me, and my body is going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and convict me and assure me that God loves me no matter what? That's a subjective evidence, internal evidence, and it's powerful. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, I had been in and out of jail and prison for about five years. For about five years, I spent about three of it in and out of jail and prison. And I had this habit of making promises and not keeping them. Does that surprise anyone? Anybody know anybody who's ever been in trouble and they make promises and don't keep them? Was that just me? I think that's pretty characteristic. I would tell my parents, get in trouble, go to jail. I've learned my lesson. I'm never going to do any of this stuff again. I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm changed. I'm never doing any of that stuff ever again. Then I would get out and I would go right back to it over and over and over again. Make those promises and then keep them. But then on, in February of 2012, I was arrested for the last time. And on March 14th of 2012, God saved me. And God changed me. He changed my heart. And there was this inner peace. Like I knew that my sin was forgiven without a doubt. The burden that had been on my back and on my heart was removed. And I couldn't describe it in words. And I still, it's hard to describe today. But that's what Paul is talking about. There's an internal peace. I knew that God had poured out his love on me. on me, And I knew because I had cried out to God. And I said, I don't care what happens with upcoming court dates. And I don't care. I just want to be forgiven. I want to be made right with you. And he saved me. And I remember about six months in. So I was born again. I was reading my Bible. And I, was, it, I still had about 18 months to do in prison at this point in time. And I was reading my Bible and, and getting into the Word and studying it. And uh, God surrounded me with wonderful people to disciple me. And I remember being on the phone with one of my family members. And uh, she asked me, uh, how do you know it's different this time? Uh, fair, very fair question. I was not offended by it. You've said all of this stuff before, Bubba. So what is, di- what is different this time? Like, are you not just going to get out and go back and do the same thing? And my only answer for her was probably because by God's providence, I had just read it, 
But Romans chapter 8, verse 16, I just answered with a scripture, the only one that came to my mind. And in that passage, we'll get to it as we preach through this series, but it says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. That's the only answer I had. It's just like the Holy Spirit is inside of me assuring me that I'm his child and he'll never let me go, that he's adopted me into his family and he's not going to kick me out. It's an internal subjective proof. That's number one, Romans 5, 5. God's has poured out his love on us. You can know that God loves you because he's given his spirit to dwell inside of you. But Paul never just leaves it to subjective feelings because there has been times in the last nine years that I have not felt saved. There has been times in the last, when I ha- in the last nine years when I haven't felt good about being, I haven't felt like God loved me. So he says, when, when your feelings fail you, when the internal subjective evidence doesn't seem real to you, here's some external objective proofs that you can know that God loves you steadfastly. And he just starts listing them, and they're so powerful. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God loves his people so much. Believer, God loved you so much that while you were weak and unable to save yourself, and while you were ungodly, the opposite of God, ungodly, while you were unpleasant to God, you were ungodly, everything that God is, you were the opposite. He sent his most precious son to die for you. That's how you can know that God loves you. And he goes on. Romans 5, 7 through 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's saying like, yeah, sometimes you see um, good people die for good people. Like uh, a, a family member may give their life to rescue another family member. You may give your life for a friend in war or something like that. That's pretty rare. But God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says it again in verses, Romans 5, verses 9 through 10. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's saying we can be sure because of Christ's death and his resurrection that we will be saved from the wrath of God on judgment day. But the point is, he says God did this for us while we were his enemies. While we were his enemies. So that, my friend, is how you can know that God loves you. That is the objective, external evidence of God's love for you. No matter what you are going through, You can be certain that God loves you because of the cross. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So, are you suffering now? Are you struggling with something now? Are you struggling with something that happened to you in the past that you still have hurts from? Or something you did in the past that you still have shame from? And you say, there's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could allow me to go through this and still love me. Or there's no way that God could love me after I've lived my whole life in rebellion against him. This is proof that God loves you. 
That is the fourth blessing that God purchased for us. He says, while we were weak and ungodly and sinful enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us, to demonstrate his love for us. This is a powerful, powerful blessing benefit of justification. And I'm tempted to think that that's the most powerful one. Like, stop there. Number four, God's steadfast love. That is powerful. That blows my mind to think that God did that for me. Because I remember being weak and ungodly and sinful and an enemy of God. I remember it. And like, you sent Jesus to die for me while I was in that? But he goes on in verse 11. And he gets to the point of it all. So verse 11, if you're tempted to think the number four is the point, here's the point of it all. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's like, what? More than that. More than peace with God? More than secure grace? More than joyful hope? More than God's steadfast love? More than all of those things, we can now enjoy God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died. God paid the greatest price to purchase the greatest blessing for you. And the greatest blessing is God himself, is the ability to enjoy God himself. Sin puts so many barriers in between us and God. So it, it, we can't even think that way. No, the, the blessings are in themselves. The blessings are the blessings. But really, the blessings are getting things out of the way, barriers out of the way, so that we can be one with our Creator again, so that we can enjoy God for who He is. If you take these positives, these benefits that God purchased for us in our justification, and you turn them into negatives, you see these barriers. You see guilt and unbelief. You see hostility, fear and insecurity, misery and despair, weakness and godliness. You see these as barriers. But we're just told that, that Christ died and in our justification got all of those things out of the way. He gets guilt and unbelief out of the way, justified by faith. He gets hostility out of the way, peace with God. He gets insecurity and fear out of the way by secure grace. He gets misery and despair out of the way with joyful hope. And he covers our weakness, our sinfulness, our ungodliness, and our rebellion as he demonstrates his love for us on the cross through Jesus Christ. All of that so that much more, so that all of those things are out of the way. Now we can rejoice in God. We can enjoy God through his son, Jesus Christ. God bought you with his son. And there are so many blessings that come with that, as we have just seen. But the chief, the main blessing of it all, is God bought you with his son to bless you with himself. So what do we do with that? People in this room, people on live stream, what do we do with that? First, if you do not know God through Jesus Christ... If you're thinking, like, what in the world is this guy in glasses talking about? Like, I have no idea what he's saying. If you're far from God right now, and you feel like there's no way that you can be brought back to God, I pray, I hope that God is tugging on your heart now and showing you that you don't have to clean up first, right? You don't have to 
get your life together first. You don't have to break that bad habit before you come to God. You don't have to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you don't have to stop living this way. Or start, you don't have to do those things first. He says, come weak, come ungodly, come sinful, come enemies, come enemies, come to Christ. Bring all of your baggage and all of your sin. Bring it with you to Jesus and leave it there and trust in him and be filled with this hope and peace and grace and love. I do not know what could cause you to turn your back on such grace. So I plead with you, don't leave this room or don't click X on your computer screen without trusting in Jesus today. That's the first thing to do with this. Now, second, if you're a Christian, what does this mean? What does it mean to rejoice in God? I've kind of left it there because I think it's intriguing. Like, the point is, what does it mean to enjoy God? What does that look like lived out in our daily life? Like, what in the world does that mean? Enjoy God. The point is, is not so we can leave here with some truths, calling ourselves Christian and using the tribal vernacular saying, hey, that was a great sermon. I I left here. I enjoy God. I've been reconciled. I'm being sanctified. I've been justified. Like, I know all these fancy words. And and, and that's that's not the point. The point is for us to be changed by this. So what in the world, for us as Christians, if this is true, what I'm arguing that the main point of the gospel is to bring us back to God himself so that we can enjoy him, what in the world does that look like lived out in our lives? And I would say two things to that. Number one is it's not always there and you can't force it. Okay? Number one, and that's probably just based off my experience and what I see in scripture, is it's not always there. It's possible to be a Christian, to be regenerate, and not 100% all of the time experiencing the enjoyment of God. There are times, there are mountaintops and valleys in the Christian life, and there are times when you feel far from God. Remind yourself that you're not. So if you're not just enjoying God and experiencing joy in God when you think about who he is and what he's done, Here's what I would say. Pray for it. Pray for it. It's a gift of God's Holy Spirit. Open the word and ask God's Holy Spirit, God, show me who you are in this. Fill my heart up with joy in you. So that's the the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say, if you are in this room and you hear these things and you feel your heart swelling up with joy, when you hear about what God has purchased for you through Jesus Christ and you feel yourself getting like excited about that and you want to praise him, here's what I would say to you and to me who was once weak and ungodly and sinful and an enemy of God, but now I've been justified by faith. God has poured out his love on me and given me peace and hope and grace and given me access to himself. I would say complete your joy by telling someone about it. Complete your joy by telling someone about it. Pastor Jason said this a few weeks ago in a sermon. He said, we're all evangelists for what we love the most. An evangelist is somebody who just talks about all the time, who shares the good news about what we love the most. If you love golf, you talk about golf a lot, right? If you love hunting, you talk about hunting a lot and you convince others to love hunting. Whatever it is you love the most, the same is true. You will talk about what you enjoy the most. So I want you to think about why. Why? 
why do we talk about what we enjoy the most? And C.S. Lewis nailed it, and I think he nailed it. He got it 100% right. He said, because that joy is incomplete until it is expressed. The consummation of the joy is the expression of it. You see what I'm saying? Do you remember when you got your first car? I remember, 1970 F-150. I think it was two, at least two, maybe it had been three colors. It was old. It was a clunker. It had a 360 in it, but I was so excited about it. Ran in and got on the landline, called my friends. Hey, you got to come over and check out my new truck. They came over and they were like, hey, man, this is awesome. I'm like, isn't it great? Like, look how wonderful it is. Pop the hood. Look, isn't this great? Look at the interior. And they're like, you know, and I'm like, it's awesome. I was so excited. I couldn't hold it in. I had to share it with somebody. I had to express that joy to complete it. Think about when you met your spouse, if you're married. Think about when you met your spouse. Love you. You are awesome. I just enjoy you. I love what God is doing in your life. I love your smile. I love your eyes. You are wonderful. Just think if you had to hold those in, you'd be miserable. The joy is complete when you express it. So I would say, Christians, myself included, I pray that our hearts are so full of joy in God for who he is that we would leave here sharing it with others, expressing it to others. Complete your joy today, this week, for the rest of your life. Don't dedicate your life to what the world tells you will make you happy. It's not selfish to pursue your joy in this. This is what will bring you true and lasting joy, and that is boasting and exalting and praising God for what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. Give your life to that. Let's pray. God, we come to you again just grateful, so grateful for your word grateful for the power in it, God. I pray that your spirit would make it powerful now to all who are listening, to all who have heard of your wonderful, glorious grace. That all these benefits, all these blessings that you have purchased for us through your son, Jesus Christ, through whom we're now justified by faith, we have all of these blessings. God, but the greatest blessing is you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. May the lost hearing this right now, may they understand that. God, that true joy, lasting joy, rest for their souls will be found in you and you alone. And God, may those of us who are saved, who do know you, God, may we see that our joy will be complete boasting in you and may we spend our lives making you known to our neighbors to the nations god we love you we praise you and we thank you for this passage of scripture we thank you for this church we pray all this in jesus name amen thank you for joining us today on this podcast we would love for you to join us at one of our in-person services as well For more information or to support our ministry, please visit RedeemerMidland.org.